is good to be back with you guys. Our family last week, we were in the Dominican Republic, which you can probably tell because of how tan I am. And uh, so we had a, had a great time down there. Emily's brother lives there, but it is great to be back where uh, Southern English is spoken, and I can understand you guys, so we're, we're glad to be home. But if you have your Bible, we're going to be looking today in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 24 and 25. So if you'd like to turn there, you can go ahead and do that. And as you're turning there, you know, one thing that I, I, I believe about all people, I believe that all people have a desire to be accepted. You know, nobody wants to experience rejection, and we want to do whatever we can in order to avoid being rejected. Um, I'm, I'm the same way. I don't enjoy rejection. As a matter of fact, I remember the very first time that I um, asked my wife Emily out on a date. And we were in college, and I was in the library. Believe it or not, I was studying, and I was talking to her roommate. And her roommate said, yeah, Emily really likes you. She likes you as a friend. And, of course, all guys know, you know, you just might as well just shoot me in the head. I mean, it's like, the she, in other words, she hates my guts. And so I liked her, and so I was like, well, I'm going to ask her out anyway. And so I, I went over to her apartment driving my 1984 Firebird, which I, gave me a lot of confidence because, I mean, how can a guy be turned down when he's driving a cool ride like that? And so I go to her apartment, and I get out of my car, and she comes with me, and she gets in the car with me. And I could not, I could, just couldn't blurt out the, y'all, I'm being real honest with y'all, just like, I'm letting y'all know, shockingly, how unsmooth I am. And so I could not blurt out uh, asking her out. And so we drove, and I'm not lying, we drove around in her parking lot for an hour because I was such a chicken, and I kept thinking, well, what if she says no? And then after a while, I'm so ashamed of myself, and I'm saying, this is stupid, I gotta go ahead and ask her out, because she already thinks I'm, you know, a moron. So I finally, I asked her out on a date, and and uh, to my, my shock, she, she leaned over and gave me this huge kiss and said, I've been dreaming about this. Um, okay, maybe that didn't happen, but uh, what happened is she, she just said yes, and she got, I think she just wanted to get out of the car. And so, uh, so I asked her out, and she, so she finally said yes, she got out of the car and went on, and then, you know, I just felt like an idiot because it took forever to do it. But, but the, the, the thing that was really holding me back for so long was I was just afraid of being rejected. And I think that's what happens to a lot of people. I think that we can become so dominated by fear, you know, by a fear of rejection that we, we don't do anything or it keeps us from, from living a life of freedom. And today we're continuing our series, Lie to Me. And we're talking about a lot of the different lies that Satan tells us. And I really believe that one of the lies that Satan tells us, and today's message is talking about, the, 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 he tells us a lie that church is not important. And I think the way that he gets us to believe that is that he paints this picture of the church, you know, the church in general, as it's a place of, of, of rejection. You know, if, if you go there, you know, then there are going to be people who, who are going to reject you, who are going to look down on you. Or if you go there, the only thing the pastor is going to do is he's going to beat you up and point out all the, all the horrible things about your life. And so what the devil does, it's not important. You know, those things are not important. The church is not important. But whenever I look into the scripture, it's just real interesting that the picture that God paints of the church is totally different than the picture that the world paints, the picture that Satan paints. And so my hope is today we're going to look and see that what Satan tells us, the church is not important, that we're going to see it's a lie. 
That's absolutely not true, and we're going to see today how the church is important in our lives and what the church should be like according to Scripture. And so today in our passage of Scripture, we're going to see the writer of Hebrews sharing with us what the church is supposed to look like. Now, before I continue on, I just want to let you know my definition of the church. Uh, For those of you who've been around Village Church for uh, a number of years, you know, or you figured out that the church is not a building. Uh, For those of you who came here, you remember the days whenever we would, you know, we were sort of like nomads. We would go, we went from one school to another school. And and so church, we very quickly learned, it, it is not a building. The church is people. And that's when our text, when it talks about the church, that word church literally means an assembling or a gathering together of Christians. And so today in our passage of Scripture, we're going to see the book of Hebrews. And in this book, it was written to Christians that were living in like modern-day Italy. And they were undergoing persecution because of their faith, which is not an uncommon thing when you're reading the New Testament. And so they're struggling. You know, they're like, hey, we're living for God, and the only thing that's happening, happening is we're getting beat up, and they're ready to, to kind of give up on their faith. And so the writer of Hebrews wrote them this letter in order to encourage them and to let them know, hey, listen, the church is vital for your life. And I want you, to, I want you guys to know that the church is also vital for your life as well. Now, you can try to run and hide from the world, but if you're a follower of God, you haven't been called to do that. You've been called to be a part of the world and, and as a church to impact the world. Jesus said in Matthew five sixteen, he said, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. That's a tough order. It's a pretty tall order to fulfill. But it is made much easier whenever you have the support group of the church with you. And that's one of the reasons why the church is so important. See, the church provides you with power. The church provides you with support. And it's like it's it's a network. And the Bible says the church is the body of Christ. And so what I want you to see today is some characteristics that every church ought to have. And we're just going to take a look at a few of them, and you're going to see through this, and this is why the church is so important for us. And the very first characteristic that ought to be a part of every church is every church ought to have love as the focus of the church. The focus of our church, a major part of our church, is to be love. And if you look in verse number 24... This is where I get this. It says, and let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. Now, the Greek word for love used here is the word agape. Uh, that word agape, it, just, it means a self-sacrificing love. Uh, it's talking about the kind of love where you are willing to put somebody else before yourself. And as a church, that's who we're to be. When people look at us, they ought to see that we are a people who love each other, who love people so much that we're willing to put them before us. And Jesus said a distinguishing mark of my followers, he said, it's going to be love. In John 13, 35, he said, by this all men will know that you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. He didn't say, people don't know you're my disciples by you know, the kind of church building you're in. 
you know, by, kind of, by, by the kind of rules that you decide that you're going to keep. He said, people are going to know that you belong to me when they see that you love people. And verse number 24 clearly points out the purpose of our church. One of the purposes of our church is to promote love. That word promote, it means to incite. So whenever you come into church, you are to be incited. Not to a riot, but you are to be incited to love. Another, another word for incite is to spur. Uh, some, trans, some of your translations in your Bible say that we are to spur one another on to love. When I hear the word spur, you know, I, 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 think of, uh, I think cowboys typically wearing spurs. And, you know, when they ride their horses, they put the spur to the horse. Now, why do they do that? They do it to motivate the horse, right? And want him to go faster, get his attention. When you come into the church, you are to be motivated. You are to be spurred. Spurred onto what? Not to be angry. I think a lot of people, when they think of the church, they think, well, the, the, I can tell you a million things the church is against. I can tell you that there's a lot of people that come into the church and they just don't seem very happy. That's not what the church is to look like according to the Bible. According to the Bible, that when we come in here, we ought to be incited, spurred, to go out and to love people. When people think of us, the first thing they shouldn't think of is, I can tell you what those people are against. Uh, the Apostle Paul dealt with this with the Corinthian church. He said in 1 Corinthians 11, 17, and 18, he's talking about church here. He says, your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there's divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. Now, that's a, that's a great, you know, I, I think we're going to make that our life verse for our church. What do y'all think? I hear when y'all come together, there's a lot of divisions. That's not good. I mean, wh who wants to come to a church where people are fighting? I mean, unless you're a sadomasochist. I mean, who enjoys watching people fight? You know, there's some, there's some shows on television. This is, like, not even in my notes. I just thought of this. But, man, there, have you all heard of those shows like uh, Real Housewives of Blythewood and, you know, all those things? And I'm saying, why do people watch that garbage? Because the only thing people do, they fight. Toddlers and tiaras. I don't, that's crazy stuff. And I'm like, why, who wants to be entertained by watching people fight? And, and yet... When people think of the church many times, they think, you know, I don't want to go there because all they do is fight in those places. But if they see that we are a people who love, you know, the greatest motivator of anything is love. When people see love in action, it gets people's attention because it's different. Now, there's a, a great story I read about, I think it was a, maybe a chicken soup for the soul or something. There's a guy named Randy and his fiancée, Victoria, they're getting ready to get married. But Randy finds out that if he doesn't get a kidney transplant before the marriage, he's going to die. And so he wants his fiancée to hear what the doctor has to say. He says, before you marry me, you need to know what kind of shape I'm in. And the doctor told her, he said, listen, he goes, the best chance for a transplant you have that he has is with family members, and nobody in his family matches him. So there are 36,000 people a year in America who need kidney transplants. There's 4,000 kidneys available. So you do the math. It's not good. She said, well, why, why don't you check me? And her, her fiancé looked at her and said, we don't have to do that. She said, well, I love you. She said, well, check me. They checked her, and amazingly, two weeks later, they found out she was a perfect match for him. They got married. The very next day, they had surgery. Great honeymoon. I get married. He has a kidney transplant, and he survives. Now, that's, it's a neat story because it's a story that the only way that, that he was going to survive 
was that somebody gave him a selfless gift out of love. Guys, let me tell you something. Our world needs to see the church loving like that. Loving where, where we go out and we are looking to serve people, not to see what we can get out of them, but say, you know what? God loves me so much that he gave himself for me, and I want to, I want to show God that I love him, that I'm going to go out, I'm going to serve other people and love them. So a characteristic that ought to be a part of every church is where love is the focus of the church. But here's another characteristic that ought to be a part of the church and why it's so important. And it's this one. Every church ought to have service as a primary function of the church. Now we are to love, and not only are we to love as a church, but we are also to be a people of service. And again in verse number 24 it says, And let, it, let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. Notice the, the writer of Hebrews said we're to love each other, and he said we're also to do good works. When he's talking about good works, he's, he's very simply just talking about serving other people. He said you love and you also serve other people. Now one thing I've noticed about myself and most people is it's a whole lot easier to talk about what needs to be done than it is to actually do it. The Bible says we're to serve other people. I'm all for it. We ought to serve other people. Now, how about actually going out and doing it? Ah, it's a little more complicated. And it's not really that it's complicated, but we just we talk a pretty good game. It's just, but, but what, what exactly is it that we are doing? Now, why, why is it so hard for us to put into practice what we say is so important? I mean, it's very important. The Bible says, Galatians 5, Paul said, you're called to be free, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for you, you know, for the flesh. But what? But serve one another through love. For the entire law is fulfilled in this one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, there's a lot of different reasons, I think, why we struggle in serving people. And we, we can get the basic ones. I mean, it is easier to talk than it is to do. Um, because my nature is to be selfish. You know, serving's great, but if it doesn't necessarily benefit me, I'm not real excited about doing it. But I think there's another issue here, too. I think a lot of us make serving more complicated than it is. As a Christian, I'm supposed to serve. So whenever we think of Christian service, if you've grown up in, in church circles, you think, well, if I'm really going to be a servant, then what that means is I have to become a preacher. And you think, I, am, I ain't doing that. If I'm going to serve, I have to become a missionary. Or I have to, you know, I have to lead people in singing, and I can't sing. And so we say, well, I can't serve. I don't know what to do. I, I just think we make serving much more difficult than it really is. Let me try to give you a few, uh, just a few simple examples of how you and I can actually serve. When, whenever the Bible says that serving ought to be a makeup of the church, it's talking about, it's talking about you. Let, let me give you an example. One way that you can serve. Okay, where you're sitting, look to the person to your left, and then look at the person to your right. Now, some of you are thinking, I'm sitting by myself. All right, well, look behind you. All right, look at the person to your left or right. Okay, now, as you look at them, not in a weird way, but try to remember them. You know how you can serve that person? This week, as you remember that person, you might know their name, you might not. If you don't, you ought to ask them what their name is. What you, can, you can pray for them all week. Pray that God will bless them. Pray that God will protect them. Pray that God will work in their life, affirm them this week. That's how you serve people. 
does. When you pray for something, you're serving that person. So you say, yeah, serving seems so difficult. Guys, it's not difficult. You look at the person next to you and say, I'm, I'm going to pray for that person. I'm going to pray for you all week. How else can we serve other people? You know another way you can serve somebody else? When you go to work, I'm sure there's people that you know, and you, maybe, you might have worked in the same place for a long time, but you really just don't know the person beyond just work. Take them out to eat. Pay for their lunch. Invite them to church so they can hear the good news of Jesus. Yeah, I think what happens so many times is we make serving so difficult when it really doesn't have to be. And, and those, those are just little mi- those are minor things that we can do. Then service also goes into different areas as well. I mean, we have in our church where you can serve and be a part of our mission trip whenever we go to Haiti, and you can do labor in order to serve other people. And I know there are people in our church who go to nursing homes, and, and they, they work with the people that are there. There's a lot of different areas of service, but those are just some simple things that you can do. But our goal as a church should never be to, be, uh, to become so inward-focused that, that we just simply serve ourselves. Because whenever we do that, what's going to happen is we're going to stagnate and die when we just look at us instead of looking who I can reach out to. I remember the very first time we went to the, when we were in Israel, we went to the Dead Sea. And I thought, the very first time we were going there, I thought, man, that it's going to be, you know, it's going to stink. It's called the Dead Sea. It's going to stink. It's going to be brown. It's going to be ugly. I mean, I don't really care about going there. When we got there, it was like one of the coolest places there is. Uh, the, the, the area we went, the very first time we went, the area we went to, the water, it was crystal clear. It looked like you were in, I mean, like in the um, Caribbean. Blue water. Isn't that weird? The Dead Sea, blue water. Beautiful. You can see down to the bottom, there's these uh, salt pillars in the water. There's a lot of salt there. 11 times saltier than the ocean. You look, it looked like clouds were in the water. I mean, you get in the water, you float, you cannot sink. And I don't care what you think. You, I talked to somebody, they said, I just sink like a rock every time I get in the water. You don't sink in the sink. You can stand straight up in the Dead Sea, and you bob like a buoy. It is, it is, and you can get down, and you look like Superman. And I'm not lying. I mean, you are on top of the water. It's just crazy. Now, as cool of a place as it is, it's still dead. So that's, nothing lives in the Dead Sea. And one of the reasons why is because the Dead Sea, it simply receives water from the Jordan River, and it has no outlets. And so all these minerals come in, and, and there's a lot of other reasons, but then there's a bunch of salt in the Dead Sea, and because it has no outlets to get rid of that water, the water stagnates, and nothing can live in it. Guys, same thing can happen to us as Christians. So whenever we are not serving, we're only receiving the blessings of God, and we don't have any outlets for service, I guarantee you, you will die and not be effective. So what do we do? We serve. Service brings life. Carl Menninger is a famous psychiatrist, and somebody came to him and said, I feel like I'm on the verge of a nervous breakdown. What should I do? And he thought he was going to give him the address to another psychiatrist that he could go visit. Menninger said, put your stuff down, walk across the street, and serve somebody. Why? Service brings life. And Jesus lived this out. Matthew 20, 28, Jesus said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Why did Jesus come? He said, I have come that you might have life. How did he give life? He served. Why is the church important? Because we are to be a group of people who go out and serve, and as we serve in the name of Jesus, there's life. So what, what characteristics should every church have? A place of love, a place that serves, and another characteristic every church ought to have is we ought to make being together a priority. As a church, make being together a priority. Verse 25, 
Every preacher, it's got to be his favorite verse in the Bible. It says, you are not to stay away from our meetings. And this time, in other words, you are not to stay away from church. Woo. Okay, you expect me to say that. As some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, apparently, just like today, there was a problem with some of the believers, you know, coming together, gathering together for worship. And I think there's probably some different reasons going on. One, remember, they're being persecuted because of their faith. And I'm sure some of the people are thinking, if we gather together, then we become like shooting fish in a barrel. You know, why get all together when everybody's trying to kill us anyway, and they can wipe us all out in one shot? And so I'm sure that had to be some of the thinking there. We're not going to get together. Other part of the thing, I'm sure some people were apathetic, and they thought, you know, church really isn't that important. And so the writer of Hebrews takes time out in this chapter to say, listen, let me tell you why the church is important. He says, don't, don't forsake coming together to worship. And I like this so much because it's not, it's not like church is a suggestion for us. I mean, the gathering together. It's not a suggestion, y'all. It's not like, hey, I, if this fits in my schedule, this is something I'm going to do. If it's convenient for me, I'm going to come to worship. The, the Bible says it, it's a command. We are to gather together. Now, I've heard a lot of people tell me this over the years. and say, I don't need a church to worship. I can worship when I'm on the golf course. Yeah, and I'll be honest with you, y'all, I play golf. It's real hard for me to worship there. As a matter of fact, I think like I'm real close to being demon-possessed when I'm out on the golf course. I'm so angry. Like, I, can worship on the go- I can worship on the golf course. I can worship whenever I'm sitting in a deer stand. You know, I can worship whenever, you know, whenever I'm lying in bed, getting some rest. And let me tell you something, I'm going to agree with every one of those things. Yes, you can. I've done it before. You can worship in all those different, but you can worship anywhere. But not at the expense of coming together corporately to worship. We are to gather together. Why? There's strength in numbers. Yeah, it is really cool. I mean, I, it, it's, it's really cool whenever I'm watching, TV, watching a football game on TV and cheering for my team. That's fun. But you know what's more powerful than that? When I'm in the stadium with everybody else. Isn't that fun? I mean, it is a blast. You're sitting there screaming your head off. Okay, man, you got people. I'm giving people a high five. I don't even know who they are. And I'm like, you know, slapping their hand, you know, hitting them on the rear. If it's a guy. You, yeah, you know, I don't know who you are. There's something powerful about being together. Church is the same way. Something powerful about when we come together to worship corporately. We influence each other. We become a support group for each other whenever we're together corporately. You know, but we're not here together just corporately on Sunday mornings. We also are gathered together corporately in, in our V group ministries, small group ministries. Yeah, it's, it's, you know who does the most praying, the most like, uh, like pastoral care in our church? People who are involved in our V group ministries. They know what's going on. It's, where, it's because we have relationships with each other. We know how people live. We know what's going on in their lives because we spend time with them. If you're not a part of one of our V group ministries, uh, let me encourage you to, you can look in our bulletin or you can go to our website for V groups, just vgroups.org. And find out where V group is near you so that you can plug into one and begin to love and share life with those people and also serve together. But what so many of us do is we, we try to go through life alone. Man, it's tough. You know, the tallest trees in the world are in California. The red, you know, there's a redwood forest there, 
huge trees. Uh, the t- I think the tallest tree is almost 400 feet tall. Now, what's interesting about redwoods is they're really tall, but they have a very shallow root system. And so if the, those trees, that the redwoods were not in a forest and they stood by themselves, their, their shallow root system, as a tree would get bigger and bigger, they'd become totally exposed to the elements of, of nature, and they'd fall over. I mean, a good wind's going to blow over a tree like that. But whenever they're in a forest, what happens is those, those trees, they have these shallow root systems, but their root systems join together. And they, they form strength as they are bonded together. And so as they are bonded together, they're able to stand tall and straight without being blown over by the winds of, of this world. Well, that's the church. You see, our, our calling is to come together because on our own, man, the elements of this world are tough. You know, the Bible calls believers in Romans chapter 12, says we are the body of Christ. You've heard that term before, body of Christ. We come together as the body of Christ. What happens if I decide, and I'm a part of the body, but I decide I'm not going to participate with the body? You know, I'm going to detach myself. If the head is detached from the body, how does that work out? Not, not really well, not very good. Um, if my feet decide, you know, I'm not going to participate today. I'm just going to go off on my own and not hang out with the ankles. What's that going to do? You're not going to go very far. You know, there is, there, in other words, there is no life when we try to lone ranger it as the body, as the part. I try to be independent as a part of the body. I don't work. Same thing is true in my relationship with God. Christians, as a church, we are to come together and our root systems are to join together with each other. We are to support each other, love each other, serve together. And as we do that, we have strength. And we are able to stand tall in the midst of a very harsh world. Now, Satan lies to us. The church is not important. Let me tell you, it's vitally important. It's vitally important. And the, the characteristics that ought to be part of every church, we ought to be a place of love, a place of service, and a place where we make it a priority to be together. Because we need each other. 